and welcome to the Faith Over Fear podcast, where we battle our most paralyzing fears with truth. I'm your host, Jennifer Slattery. I'm an author, I'm a speaker and ministry leader, and I am passionate about helping God's children live in freedom because life is much too short and we have far too much to do for any of us to live enslaved. I would love to connect with you online. You can find my website. You can find me on social media. Just Google my name and let's link arms as together we advance towards all God has for us. Do you believe God has a plan for you? A good and hope-filled plan. Do you believe Jesus meant it when he said in John chapter 10, verse 10, that he came to give us a filled to overflowing beyond expectation life? Before you answer that, before I answer that, I need to ask a follow-up question. Do our lives verify what our mouths proclaim? Consider this quote by Tony Evans. Faith is measured by your feet, not your feelings. It's measured by what you do, not what you say you are going to do. Or to maybe phrase that in the converse, as John Piper suggests, the root of all disobedience is disbelief. Now think about that for a moment. Obedience can be fearful, can't it? We're afraid. Maybe God's ways truly aren't best, or maybe he doesn't love us like scripture says, or maybe Christ truly isn't enough. Maybe he won't come through. Maybe he won't heal or transform, whether that is a situation or a relationship or people. Maybe he truly won't provide whatever. And so we're afraid because we're just not certain He is who he says he is and will do all he's promised to do. We're not certain if we take that leap of obedience that he will be there to catch us. And so often that's what it comes down to. Think about it. If we truly believe everything God promises in scripture, and he makes a lot of promises to care for us, to provide for us, to give us joy, peace, and fulfillment, to lead us to freedom, to increase emotional intimacy with him and others, in short, to give us the life our hearts need and crave, the life we often chase after, but in all of our striving in self-reliance, often rob ourselves of. In our disobedience, our desire for control and holding tight to our own plans, we in effect risk missing all the blessings God has for us. Many times in the moment, obedience can feel hard, risky, and maybe even like a bit of a death. Disobedience, following our plans and our agenda over God's, that sometimes can feel easier and and that can whisper lies promising increased life. But life and experience proves the opposite. Obedience leads to life and freedom. Disobedience leads to slavery and ultimately death. Let me start with an example that, unfortunately, I suspect many of you might understand from a personal level and maybe even through no choice of your own. Some of you are going to feel tempted to stop this podcast when I share my first example, but stick with me. I believe God has a lot for you in today's episode, hope and life and light and joy. I have watched 
way too many marriages fracture. And these involve people in the church. People walk away because staying feels hard or painful. Now, I have to give a brief disclaimer. I am not talking about those who have experienced abuse or are in an abusive relationship. If you left a marriage because of abuse, please hear my heart when I say, I am so sorry for your pain and God never condones or excuses abuse. And if you are in a situation where you are experiencing abuse, please get help. That is not God's plan for you. And to those of you who aren't married, who aren't sure if you'll ever be married and maybe aren't sure if you even want to get married, don't check out on me because the principles I am discussing, they can be applied to all of our relationships. And I'm really talking about just the normal, gritty, hard of making relationships work. And maybe I should start there. In scripture, we often read about the type of relationship, scripture calls it fellowship, that we're to have with one another. First John verses five to seven states, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. But the point I want to make is this. John used the word fellowship, which is koinonia in the Greek, and I'm not sure we quite have a word similar. David Guzik from The Enduring Word tells us it's a, quote, sharing, a communion, a common bond, and a common life, and it speaks of a living, breathing, sharing, loving relationship with another person. It speaks of deep relationship, the type of relationship God wants us to build with one another. God designed us for that level of relationship, which means he is always leading us into deeper relationships with him and with others, teaching us how to relate in loving, healthy, and life-giving ways. His role is to teach, to transform, and to lead. Our role is to yield, to follow, and obey. In other words, obedience leads to increased emotional and spiritual health and relational health. So, Where might disobedience lead? To fractured relationships, to distrust, to isolation, often experienced in the relationships that God wants us to most experience intimacy in. About 20 years ago, my husband and I found ourselves sitting in a divorce lawyer's office ready to call it quits. Our marriage was a mess. My husband worked a lot in a high-stress position, and it felt like he was gone more than he was home. And when he was home, he was irritable and exhausted. I was a stay-at-home mom at the time, and I was so lonely. Our house used to feel so very quiet when he and I weren't yelling at one another, of course. And it got to the point where we were arguing more than we weren't. And I was convinced it was largely his fault. If only he would be more considerate, more available, more loving, whatever. I'm certain he thought it was my fault as well. It's easy to focus on what everyone else is doing, on the problems everyone else is creating, but honestly and prayerfully self-analyzing, that takes courage and strength. It often feels like weakness in the moment, but it's actually strength. The weak man or woman blames. The strong man or woman grows. Obedience always leads to growth. Disobedience always leads to emotional and spiritual immaturity, to remaining stuck in our mess. And I'm not just talking about the mess of the relationship. I'm talking about the mess within ourselves because friend, we are all a mess in need of Jesus. And we're either standing stuck in our mess or we're steadily climbing out of it and becoming all Christ created us to be 
and all he has for us. So anyway, there my husband and I were, we were both stuck in our respective messes, deceived by pride, enticed by sinful thinking and behavioral patterns. And it seems so much easier and maybe even more logical for us to call it quits, to walk away. But I knew God doesn't condone divorce, except in cases of abuse and adultery, neither of which applied in our circumstances. And I have to tell you, this made me mad. It seemed unfair. I was convinced God wanted me to remain miserable for the rest of my life. But I also knew following Jesus is so much more than simply checking a box on some survey or attending a religious function once a week. And so knowing I would be willfully disobeying my Savior, also known as rebelling against him, should I leave my husband, I told God, fine. I'll stay, but you're going to have to do this for me. And I was meaning my marriage. And like I said, I thought for sure I was just going to remain miserable, lonely, and hurting for the rest of my life. But that is not what happened. God took that moment of frustrated obedience, and he led me to another moment of obedience and to another moment of obedience until step by step by step, he transformed my marriage, our family. And in the process, he transformed my husband and I individually as well. And we just celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary this summer. That's 25 years of family reunions, vacations, holidays, 23 years of my daughter celebrating her birthdays in a united, loving home. My husband and I are super close now. He's an amazing man who, quite honestly, treats me like a princess. Through our obedience, really our surrender, which at times involved some gritted teeth moments. You probably know what I mean. We're obeying Jesus, loving someone his way feels like the hardest thing you will ever do. We both had so many moments like that, but bit by bit, things got better. Love replaced our hurt and our distrust so much so that I now feel more supported and cared for and loved by this man than I have by anyone in my life ever. Had I chosen to disobey, to choose my way, I would have forfeited so much. My disobedience would have cost me and it would have cost my daughter. All three of our lives would have had entirely different trajectories. Do you remember my fear that obedience would lead to increased misery? So basically that God didn't truly have hope and healing and good in store for me when in fact his plans, all he's done in my marriage and my relationships have been so much better than I could have imagined. The journey to where we're at now, it hasn't been easy. It hasn't been quick, but man, oh man, has God been so good. So, so good. Had I listened to my fear and chose disbelief over trust and disobedience over obedience, I would have missed out on so very much. And I do have to pause here and say our obedience won't always lead to relational transformation. Unfortunately, we can do all God is calling us to do. We can surrender to his ways completely. And our spouse or our friend or our parent or our child, our boss, whatever, can still act ugly. They can choose disobedience and they can walk away from or destroy the relationship. They can refuse emotional and relational health. But even then, God can bring about good and life and hope for us. He can give us the peace of knowing we did everything in our power, the peace of living without regret or what ifs, and he can lead us to healthier relationships in the future. He can grow us through our obedience so that we enter into our next relationship stronger and healthier, whereas the opposite tends to occur when we choose disobedience. Our dysfunction and our immaturity tend to grow. I also want to say for those who are divorced, know there is always, always grace and God can redeem everything. He can bring good out of wherever you're at. 
He doesn't want us living in guilt over our past. He wants us moving toward all he has for us because he still has so much good in store. My point is this obedience, whether that's in a relationship, embracing a risk, maybe resting when God tells us to leads to life because we belong to a loving, faithful father who always, always has our best in mind. When we recognize that obedience becomes so much easier. And when we fight our battles God's way, he fights for us. Think about that for a moment. Whatever battle you're facing, that's most challenging your obedience. When we respond to our challenges and our battles and our uncertainties, as God desires, we can trust him to take care of the results. And here's the thing. He knows what's ahead. We don't. He knows what we'll need internally, the character, the inner grit. We'll need to accomplish whatever task is up ahead. He also knows everything we'll need to live well in the midst of whatever challenges and circumstances we might one day find ourselves in. He knows the surest route to our best life. Let me provide another example. Decades ago, Jesus planted a spark for writing in my heart, only I wasn't really fully aware of it. I have always enjoyed writing just kind of as my own way to process things. And the idea that I could one day pursue writing and speaking full time, it didn't even cross my mind. And then once God brought it to mind, honestly, the idea seemed completely irrational. I felt certain I should find a much more practical career, and I had plenty of people express the same sentiment to me. Remember, writing is a hobby, they'd say. Treat it like that. Only God was calling me to more, to actively invest in the gift he'd given me, even if that meant cutting my safety net, so to speak. And I was also terrified of exposure, which I believe I shared in a previous episode. If not, I'm sure I'll share that part of my story at some point. When I first sensed God's call to write, I was pursuing a teaching degree. Well, actually, that's not entirely true. I had been in college for quite a while, and I jumped from one major to another way too many times, primarily because nothing really resonated. I just knew I needed to do something, something logical, something practical, something that would earn a definite paycheck, and a company matched 401k wouldn't hurt either. But writing? What if I invested all my time, all my energy, years worth of effort, and never saw results. And so I resisted for about a year, actually. And I have to tell you, that was one of the darkest years of my life. My disobedience steadily distanced me from God, my source of joy and life and hope. And the more I ignored his voice, the softer it became until I could no longer hear him speaking to me at all. That's perhaps the greatest cost of disobedience. It hinders our intimacy with Christ. And this is a problem because our souls need Jesus to survive. We don't realize how much until we sense that spiritual void. I was depressed. Life felt pointless, bleak. And really, I had no logical reason to feel that way. Everything in my life, in fact, was going pretty well. I was healthy. I didn't get sick, in fact, until a couple years later. And while we weren't rich by any means, we also weren't suffering financially. We owned our own home. We had working cars, the money to go out to eat and on vacation on occasion. And, and our relationships were relatively strong. I mean, we had our moments, and, but for the most part, everything was going well. And yet I was miserable. Life felt just so dark because I was distancing myself from the light of Christ. I don't know what God's calling you to. I don't know what makes obedience feel so hard and frightening, but I can tell you this. Nothing you face will be as difficult, as painful, and depression and angst producing as living outside of God's will. 
I can tell you from experience. And after about a year of this, I realized no matter what happened, no matter how my obedience turned out, I simply couldn't live that way anymore. So I told God I would obey however he led. And again, obedience wasn't easy, nor was my journey to publication quick. And really, my obedience didn't depend on whether I got published or not. God was asking me to obey regardless of what happened. And my journey involved so much more than simply a publishing contract, but there's been joy and peace, a joy and peace greater than my circumstances. And that was about 10 years and 10 book contracts ago. And as I was reviewing all God has done, I was reminded afresh of just how wise, how far seeing my God is. Now, if you've listened to past episodes or to any of my Thriving with Chronic Illness podcast, which you can find on the Life Audio website, you know I battle chronic illness. And while I get a lot done, at least I feel like I do, I can do pretty much all of it from the comfort of my bed if I choose to, if I need to. And one of my greatest challenges is leg pain. And this tends to be cumulative, meaning the pain builds up over time. So while I can handle standing on my feet for, say, a few hours one day, by the second day, the pain will be worse. By the third day, it will be worse until by day four and five, I'm in a pretty tough spot. And the pain doesn't just go away with an evening of rest or a good night's sleep. It takes me a fair amount of time to recover. So for example, after a speaking engagement, which involves me remaining on my feet for 30 to 45 minutes at a time, I'll usually need to rest three to four days, staying off my legs almost completely to recover. At this stage in my life, I don't think I could physically handle teaching all day. But God knew that. He knew exactly what my challenges and limitations would be. And he led me to a place where I can remain productive, where I can experience the fulfillment of doing something worthwhile, whether I'm having a good day or a hard day. And I could have missed that. Now, granted, I could have pursued writing at any time, but I would have wasted so much time. I actually did waste some time, a year in fact, but that's better than wasting 10 or 15 years in disobedience. And recognize I never would have called my actions disobedience at the time. I wasn't that foolish. Instead, I excused my behavior by telling myself I simply didn't know what God wanted, that I wanted more confirmation when really what I wanted were guarantees. I wanted to know if I followed God's leading, if I obeyed him completely, if I took that major life shift, I wanted to know that everything would turn out well, and then I would obey but he never promised that. Instead, he routinely told me to follow him. And like I said, eventually I did. And you know what? I didn't see the results of my obedience for some time. And in fact, I spent a lot of years pounding away at my keyboard, feeling rather foolish when people asked me what I did. I was like, I'm a writer. And this often led to more questions, which eventually led me to admitting that I didn't have anything published and in fact hadn't earned a dime. That's not exactly prestigious. And to those of you who are in that spot now, who've surrendered to whatever call God has placed on your heart, but you have yet to see tangible proof, know that God always finishes what he starts. He will fulfill the plans he has for you. And he will show you that next step precisely when you need to take it. If he appears silent right now, then hold tight to the last word he gave you. Remind yourself of that. Now, what if you step out in faith and obedience and things actually get worse? Maybe you sensed God calling you to speak against injustice at the workplace or to set boundaries in a certain relationship or in some other way to make the hard right 
choice. And once you did, it felt like everything blew up. I get it. Honestly, that's a bit where I am right now. My family and I followed God's leading on something, something we feel is hugely important, something we feel is hugely God-led, something of a crisis situation. And it felt like things got worse. And the temptation was to back down, to give up out of fear, out of fear of hurting other people, out of fear of making things worse, out of fear of making a mistake. But then last night I was praying and I was like, God, give me something, please show me where you're at and what you're doing because I'm confused. And this is so, so hard and scary and painful. And God answered. He answered by directing me to Exodus chapter five. Let me provide some backstory. God's people had been enslaved to the Egyptians for 400 years, but God saw their misery. In Exodus 3, verses 7 to 10, God said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land and into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So he was speaking to a man named Moses. And Moses was not thrilled with this assignment. Now, can you blame him? It would be akin to God asking you or I to approach a cruel and powerful dictator, demanding that he free all the nation's slaves. But God assured Moses that he would be with him and that God would be strong through him. And so Moses obeyed. The result? Things became worse. Exodus 5 verses 6 to 8 states, that same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and overseers in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That is why they are crying out. Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make the work harder for the people so that they keep working and pay no attention to lies. Basically, let's come down really hard on these people to intimidate them into giving into the oppression. And the people responded by telling Moses and his brother Aaron, may the Lord look on you and judge you. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. So in other words, this is your fault. You have made things worse. Leave us alone. Can you imagine what that felt like for Moses? To think that his actions had actually increased someone's pain, had made their plight worse. He did not want to obey in this area, afraid to cause further pain. He wanted to walk away to reject this assignment God had given him. Verse 22 says, Moses returned to the Lord and said, why, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Is that why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on this people and you have not rescued your people at all. Now, I don't know how long this went on, how long the people endured this increased suffering, but it seems to me that some time must have passed because Moses said, ever since I went to Pharaoh, which appears to be an indication of the passing of time. And did you catch the ending phrase? You have not rescued your people at all. In the original Hebrew, it reads, you have not rescued, you have not rescued your people. See, ancient Hebrew, they didn't have 
punctuation like we do. Therefore, instead of using an exclamation mark, they often use repetition for emphasis. So when you read, you have not rescued, you have not rescued. Imagine Moses speaking with intensity and desperation. Imagine that there's an exclamation mark there. It's like he was saying, God, where are you? Why are you not helping? All of this intervention is only making things worse. Can you sense Moses's anguish, his feelings of helplessness, and maybe even a little bit of guilt? I can, currently in a way I hadn't before. The confusion, sense of helplessness and desperation, the constant and fervent prayers, begging God to intervene in a certain situation, knowing he is the only one who can help, feeling as if we, in effect, have caused more pain, not knowing what to do or how to help. And I suspect that's how Moses felt. So how did he respond? Well, God told Moses to keep fighting injustice, to keep speaking up for the oppressed. And the ultimate result, God came through in such a miraculous way. As I was reading that Exodus account and God was really speaking to me regarding my current situation and ways that he's calling my family and I to be obedient in a really difficult, confusing situation, God reminded me of two phrases that he had spoken into my heart previously. One was 20 years ago when my marriage was such a mess. And and God told me at that time, sometimes things must get worse before they get better. And while that proved true in the three years that followed, oh my goodness, did it ever prove true, God ultimately transformed my marriage so that my husband now is the person I adore and trust more than anyone else. I've learned sometimes things must indeed get worse before they get better, and God works in the meanwhile. That's a phrase that Lisa Turker spoke Oh, I don't know. This past winter at an event that I attended, she said numerous times in her presentation, God works in the meanwhile. And that phrase resonated so deeply in my heart. And it does again. We are currently in the meanwhile with a really difficult situation. And I am choosing to trust God is working. I'm choosing to hold tight to what God revealed to me last night. I'm choosing to hold tight to his faithfulness and to continue to walk in obedience regardless of how things appear. And perhaps you're in that place now, needing to hold tight to the truth that God is working, even if it feels as if things are getting worse. You know, I ask God for assurances a lot, and more often than not, he gives me what I ask for. He may not tell me the outcome, but he reassures me that he's working and is with me and has good in mind. And then when he does, I must choose to hold tight to whatever truth or assurance he's given me. And this is what James chapter one is referring to. You might be familiar with the passage in verses two through seven. Scripture says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything. And if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. But when you ask, James wrote, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. They are a double-minded Christian. They're divided between the things of God and human logic and human wisdom and the things 
of whatever their desires are telling them, doubting the truth that God provides. And when we do that, we become unstable like a wind-tossed boat. But when we hold tight to whatever truth God gives us, especially in our silent periods, we stand firm, immovable. So that's where I'm at. Join me. I don't know what God's calling you to do. You might feel like obedience comes at too high a cost, but what if I told you it actually comes with such incredible disobedience, distances us from our Savior, and dulls our hearing. It makes it harder to hear God. Obedience increases our intimacy with Christ and makes us more able to hear his voice in the future. Disobedience leads to inner angst and unrest. Obedience leads to supernatural joy and peace. The realization that regardless of how things turn out, you made the hard right choice. And you know, I've regretted a lot of things in my life, but I have never, ever regretted obeying Christ. Disobedience ultimately leads to death, death of relationships, of integrity, of character. Obedience leads to increased life. And obedience always reveals our love. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. And I would suggest love and trust are intertwined and therefore our obedience reveals both. So if we struggle with obeying however God is leading, the solution is to get to know him better and to ask him to help us love him more until we can say like the Apostle Paul, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Thank you for listening. I hope if nothing else, today's episode stirred you to draw closer to Jesus, inviting him to increase your courage to surrender and obey. Because the more we trust him, the more we discover how truly trustworthy and amazing and life-giving he is. I would love it if you would share this message with your friends, maybe email them, share it on social media, and make sure to subscribe. Then you won't miss a single episode. And I would be super encouraged if you would rate this podcast. That also helps others to find it. Until next time, go in peace, go in freedom, and go in courage, knowing God has so much planned for you. Obedience, it may indeed feel frightening. It might come at a cost, but it also comes with so many eternal blessings. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to Faith Over Fear, a production of Life Audio and the Salem Web Network. If you enjoyed what you heard today, we'd love for you to head over to your favorite podcast app and leave us a review. To learn more about Jennifer Slattery or to check out any of the resources she mentioned in this episode, just head over to her website, jenniferslatterylivesoutloud.com, or check out our show notes. This episode was produced by Kelly Givens and edited by Stephen Sanders. A special thanks to our executive producer, Stephen McGarvey. For more Faith Toolkit podcasts like this, just head over to lifeaudio.com. God kept calling my heart. Like, I just knew he was my safe place. I hope people don't walk away going, wow, you're really awesome. More than like, wow, Jesus is really interesting. And he's really awesome. Everybody on this planet is dealing with some sort of what if. How does that one courageous decision affect the whole world? A ship in harbor is safe, but that's not what ships are built for. If you were encouraged by what you just heard, please search Trevor Talks on your favorite podcast platform or lifeaudio.com.